uh, Romans chapter 5, uh, arguably my favorite passage in Scripture. And uh, it's good for us to remember that some east side exists to make disciples who seek Jesus and inhabit the east side with his saving power and his presence. And in order for us to, to seek Jesus, we have to understand that we have been sought. In order for us to, to inhabit the east side and tell people, tell our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers about Jesus, we need to understand what an incredible privilege and blessing it is to serve Jesus. And that, that is so beautifully spoken in this passage. So I'm looking forward to doing that today. Uh, before I do, I'm going to release the youth, the, the middle school and the high school, and the children. Uh, because one of your teachers is ill, uh, your, you get to stay in the service with us today if you're in elementary school. But if you are middle school, high school, feel free to... Uh, head that way. If you are youth, uh, you get the incredible privilege, honor of uh, listening to me speak today. And I appreciate how Soma Eastside, so many of you do such a great job paying attention, uh, even when there's a 40-minute uh, theological presentation. And I just, I know you guys can do it today. I appreciate how quiet you guys are. Uh, do your best to try not to distract your parents. Sometimes it just happens, but uh, just encourage you guys uh, you might even try taking notes, uh, or uh, I know that there's different things you can color and, and look at, but i uh, love to have the kids in here today. But peace is one of these words that's difficult to fully get your mind around. Uh, I would say that you know, the Hebrew idea of shalom is all-encompassing. Uh, today we're going to talk about peace, specifically about um, the absence of conflict, and not only is it the absence of conflict, but it is the, this idea of being fully loved and fully loved so much that everything else doesn't really matter. But peace is something, or absence of, is, absence of conflict is something that is easy for Americans to take for granted. And so I thought, well, maybe the best way to illustrate this is to go back in time just a little bit. So the class of 1914 understood what conflict looked like. Years after 1914, uh, perhaps the, the greatest general the United States has ever known, Douglas MacArthur, said this about the class of 1914. He said, in memory's eye, I can see these staggering columns of the First World War. Bending under soggy packs on many a weary march, from dip, dripping dusk to drizzling dawn, slogging ankle deep through mire of shell-packed roads to form grimly for the attacked, blue-lipped, covered with sludge and mud, chilled by the wind and the rain, driving home to their objective, and for many, to the judgment seat of God." The picture behind me, these are two British soldiers, are in the middle of World War I, which is total war. The Western Front stretched from the English Channel to Switzerland, and it was known for shell holes, duck boards, rats, and lice. 
The veterans would tell the newbies, keep your head down. Do not light a cigarette after dark. Don't talk loudly in the trenches. Don't shoot the rats and listen to the guys that have been here. The reason they said don't shoot the rats is because, well, the rats are taking care of all the other things that are dead around us. That's their job. But they also serve as a great poison gas warning. If you see a pile of, well, that was fortuitous, just the kids screaming as I'm talking about poison gas. If you see a pile of rats, um, you might think maybe put on your, your gas mask. But in November of 1918, the war was drawing to an, to an end. It had run its course, and Germany and their allies were done. And as the Americans and the allies advanced, there's all sorts of these rumors about peace. But the bullets and the shells kept coming. On November 11th, Germany finally signed an armistice at 5 a.m., understanding the difficulty of conveying that to the people on the front lines and also thinking about how memorable this might be. The people in charge of the Allied effort set the time for the armistice to be 11 p.m. because it was the 11th day of the 11th month. And of course, 2,700 people, soldiers died that day between 5 a.m. and 11. But nonetheless, 11 a.m. was the end. But many, of, many American, many Allied soldiers on this 11th day of the 11th month are, are getting ready for the next charge, the next advance. And so many of them have, have kicked a hole in the trench so they could, they could be ready to jump and go over the edge. Uh, their commanding officer has the whistle at their lips and are about ready to blow it as they're watching watching their watches carefully for the time of the advance. And in the middle of all this, they, they hear people yelling French and, uh, and getting closer and closer and closer, and these breathless French messengers are yelling at the top of their lungs, wide-eyed, finis la guerre, finis la guerre, the war is over. And what was fascinating at that moment is that the United States soldiers and the British soldiers did not cheer. They had heard rumors of peace for so long. There had been so many false alarms. They were relieved they didn't have to go over the top, but they were not convinced that peace had come. And brothers and sisters in Christ, as we hear that we have peace with God, are we cheering? Are we rejoicing? Are we celebrating? Or are we too cynical to believe the news that we have peace with God? Do we believe it? Or are we still sleeping with one eye open, with one hand on your Springfield 1910? Romans chapter 5 says this, Therefore, so Paul's referring back to this long argument that he's been making about how we have been made right in God's side, 
in God's sight. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. So I have three points, and then I have three implications, and my hope is that this will, this will be meaningful to you. But the theme is God's peace and that we ought to rejoice. These are the reasons to rejoice because of the peace that we have with God. So becoming right with God is, gives us peace. So peace gives us privilege. Peace with God gives us privilege. First of all, and most importantly, it gives us, well, there's no more impending spiritual death. The Bible says that if we have peace with God, we will never die, but we will live forever. Now, if you could get your mind around that, if you could take a step and step of faith and believe that, this would completely transform you. Completely transform you. But one, until we get older, we think that we are invincible. And so we can deal with that later. We are not invincible. Every once in a while, I think to myself, thank you, God, for type 1 diabetes. Because at the age of 13, I was, if I did not give myself regular shots, I would die. Where all my friends were convinced that they were invincible, I knew that I had to take pretty good care of myself if I didn't want serious, serious complications and death. But enmity with God, war against God, 
the Bible tells us over and over and over again, leads to condemnation and spiritual death. The death that we experience, that we see around us, whether it is suicide, cancer, diabetes, war, is coming for us all. But peace with God means that on, the, on that day when your life slowly fades to black, that you will be resurrected and you will live forever in God's presence. That is what peace with God means. And if you believe that, your life will be transformed. It will make you what all of you dearly want, which is fearless. I have seen it, I have read about it, I have watched it happen, I have seen the effects of it, but peace with God equals immortality, and if you can put your mind around that, it gives you the strength to completely transform you. God also offers you offers to lead you. One of the another amazing privileges of peace with God is He gives you His wisdom. You and I desperately need wisdom. I'm looking around here at teenagers who I really appreciate, um, and even smaller uh, children who I appreciate. One of the things that you need the most is wisdom. Wisdom will not come from your influencer friends on social media, not putting them down. Maybe they will give you some tips and tricks on everything from how to make um, a good food or uh, how to dress up like someone that's amazing or various travel tips, but they are not going to give you the type of wisdom that God gives you. God, peace with God offers you wisdom, offers you guidance on the right path. It is an incredible privilege and wisdom that comes when we have peace with God. It also gives you purpose, gives you a calling in life. He begins to show you what your spiritual gifts are, why you are created, what you're good at, what your life is meant for. Peace with God also gives you freedom from worry. All of the anxieties that fill us in life. If you have peace with God, you realize that God loves you and God cares for you. Then you begin to look at this world which is dangerous and difficult and mysterious and you may not, not know how to overcome all the obstacles in front of you, but you do know God and that he is sovereign and that he cares for you. All of this is because of what Jesus did for us. And that is such an incredible comfort to us because if God is the one who achieves this peace with us, he is also the one who keeps us in that peace, which means you can not lose it. Unbelievable privilege. Unbelievable privilege. Leads to confidence. So brothers and sisters, rejoice. We have peace with God. Peace also brings singing. Point two, it brings, brings real hope. Some of you are singers. Anybody? 
singers. Type people that sing at home, even if other people are around. I just want to see a, a show of hands for that. Come on. You know who you are. Okay, good. Uh, some of you aren't. Some of you are just more, more private. Uh, I want to encourage all of us to sing more. It's, I mean, everything I say today is going to be countercultural. You might as well just roll with it. <laughs> we go through difficulty that should prompt singing and thanksgiving. It is super counterintuitive. When you go through difficulty, what's the first thing that you want to do? Somebody yell it. Come. Give up? What else? Grumble. Can I get an amen? Grumble, cry, been there this week. I know what you're talking about. God says rejoice. Why? Because we have peace with God, which means the most important things in life, including immortality, are already taken care of. I don't know if you've realized this, going through a hard time, the worst thing about going through a difficult time is when you have to go through a difficult time alone. Peace with God means you have God. Peace with God means you have the creator of the universe walking with you. God does not promise us an easy time. God does not promise us an easy time. What does God not promise us? Okay, I just want to make sure that we were, we're not going down the, the health and wealth gospel track, brothers and sisters. When we have peace with God, we are now enemies with the world. We will not have an easy time. But when we do have this easy, when we do have these troubles, these sorrows, these trials, we ought to rejoice. Why? Because just like sports practice, we're getting stronger. Very few people enjoy practice. Matter of fact, I have never met an athlete who w w went into athletics for the practice. But what they do find out over time is that practice leads to strength and skill. Trials, brothers and sisters, leads to strength, leads to endurance, leads to character, leads to hope. Courage, strength. Can anyone testify to that? Seen it? Amen? Gradually over time, I, I hoped, I hoped that 18 years into preaching to this congregation, that we would become an amen congregation. <laughs> and we're still not there. We're closer. We're closer, but we're still a long way off. I think we should just give up and become Presbyterians. Not what we're amen. <laughs> What's important, Marty, is you say amen at the right time. So some of you are expressing or experiencing depression right now. Rejoice. Some of you are suffering sickness right now. Rejoice. Some of you have real employment troubles. Rejoice. Some of you are experiencing really difficult relationship issues. Rejoice. Don't rejoice. I mean, believe it or not, you can do this with your sanity intact. This is, I'm not asking you to lose it. I think, it's, I think it's very possible. I think, matter of fact, it's very healthy for us to go to God and say, God, this really hurts. I am really concerned. But thank you, God, that you are with me in this, that you might redeem this that nonetheless you are giving me strength. 
you are building in me character, and you are also building in me hope, knowing that this is a momentary trouble, and someday I will be over it, someday I will be on the other side, someday I will be in heaven with you, and this will be gone. Thank you for that. I'm going to sing about that. Sisters and brothers, rejoice even in the midst of trials and suffering. Sisters and brothers, rejoice even in the middle of depression and uncertainty because you have peace with God. Third point, rejoice now because we're actually friends of God. I encourage you not to let familiarity with this passage, familiarity with this idea of Christianity, don't let familiarity lead to taking this for granted. The Bible tells us over and over and over again, and right here very specifically, that before we had peace with God, before we had friendship with God, before we had any sort of desire to know God or be known by Him or to follow Jesus, we were God's enemies. Now, some of us in this room were God's enemies because you shook your fist at God and said, I'm not interested. You did this to me, I hate you. But most of us are much more subtle than that. We don't hate God but we want absolutely nothing to do with them, and we're going our own way. And sometimes when we're in trouble, we would say, God, please help. And sometimes he would, and sometimes he wouldn't. But most of the time, we just go our own way, do our own thing. I can remember distinctly thinking as a young man, I, just don't, I don't want anything to do with you right now, God. I just want to do my own thing. I won't bother you. You not bother me. I'm just going to do my own thing. But when I start to realize that God is my creator, God is my heavenly father, just think about what it's like when an earthly child just tells his earthly father that he wants nothing to do with him. And he is not going to do what his earthly father says he should do, but he's just going to do his own thing. But also at the same time, he's not smart enough to realize all the people he's hurting along the way. That's us with our Heavenly Father. So whether it's a fist in his face or just saying, hey, I'm going to do my own thing, that puts us at odds with God. We are enemies with God, and we go on our happy way hurting so many people by doing things we shouldn't do and by not doing the things that we should do. And even in that state of either open rebellion or, or doing our own thing, God says, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to show you that I love you. And the, reason, and the, the greatest way that he showed us that he loved us was by sending his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, showing us this is what a perfect life looks like. And at the end of that, despite all the difficulty and suffering that he encountered, he finished his race, and then he willingly sacrificed himself so that God would judge him instead of judging us. And then he says to us, I'm now, historically speaking, I'm going to make the cross the most beautiful symbol in the history of the world. And he's going to remind us for the next thousands of years, that's what love looks like, sacrificial love. And Paul just makes just this beautiful, funny, half 
tongue-in-cheek argument. He's like, you know, most of the time people don't die for each other. Maybe if the person's really, really good, you might die for them. But most of the time, you don't, we don't go out of our way as humans to die for other people. As a husband, I know I'm supposed to do it for my, my wife. I haven't had the opportunity yet. I feel like I would, but you know, sometimes, oh gosh. Where are we going with this? I don't know. Some, I'm just gonna, I, I started it, I gotta finish it, Marty. Sometimes, sometimes in the history of my marriage, I have heard a bump in the house and I've ignored it. And then Catherine, like, did you hear that? I'm like, what are you talking about? And then she gets up and checks on it. So, so I know that I'm supposed to take a bullet from my wife, but some days I just don't know if I'm up for it. But here's the, this is not in my notes. <laughs> I got two kids, and I just destroyed whatever my kids thought of me. But God's not like that. Even when we're his enemies, he sent his son to die for us. He loves us so much. He wants us to have peace with him. You know, the author of this got this. The author of this passage, Paul, his, he was a religious fanatic. And so when this new heresy comes up, Christianity, he is going to stop it. But these people have peace with God. They're fearless. So they're not going to stop. And so in order to stop them, Paul had to, well, the first one he targets is Stephen. Stephen's in charge of benevolence for the early church. So Paul murders the guy who's in charge of making sure the widows have food. And that's not enough. He just goes from place to place, dragging them out, making sure they go on trial, seeing many of them murdered. And then God stops him. And not only does God stop him, he blinds him. And not only does he blind him, he completely debilitates him. And so he's taken to a spot to recover after he's heard the voice of God that says, stop persecuting my people, Paul. And who shows up to take care of him? One of those Christians that he was trying to kill. And I'm sure Paul, at some point, when that Christian was taking care of him, Paul just asked him, why? And the only answer would have been, I love you and I forgive you because God loved and forgave me. I have peace with God and I'd love to extend it to you. So what are the implications just three implications today. One, just encourage you to take a step of faith. The peace of God is real. I have experienced it in my own heart. I've seen it in many of you. The peace of God is real. And what it takes to experience that, God is already chasing you. He's already pursuing you. He's already, translated to modern terms, he's already texting you and inviting you. All you have to do is just respond. All you have to do is just say, okay. It's a really hard okay because you know you're talking to the king of the universe, to the creator of, of this world. And so you know that if you accept this invitation to a relationship, that you're going to have to let him be in charge and you don't get to be in charge anymore. But guess what? You're terrible when you're in charge. And you say, well, I've got really good intentions. Well, that's what the road to hell is paid for, paved with. Take a step of faith.
And I would even say that you're... Um, that the gospel, this gospel message, this taking a step of faith is for those of you who are in their 30th year of faith. Sometimes I think we wonder or we, we forget that we are at peace with God. We just keep thinking, man, I'm, I don't know if I'm okay with him, and so I need to do things my own way. I need to chart my own path. I encourage you also to take a step of faith. Second, encourage you to, to rejoice in trials. The peace of God is so comprehensive that it can take your trials and redeem them. Your tri- you can actually be thankful for your trials. I think I heard that today from the Figueroas. And because we are people of faith and because God is, is sovereign over time, we can, we can assume that he's good even before we see it physically in front of us. Rejoice in your trials. One of the best stories in scripture is Paul getting thrown in jail. Paul and Silas getting thrown in jail. And what do they do in that jail? They sing. They're either nuts or they believe the peace of God. Based on the fact that Paul got out of that jail and started writing letters that became the basis of Western civilization, I would say he's not nuts. But he did understand something we don't, which is, we don't always understand, which is it's possible to sing and to praise God even when everything falls apart around us. Have you experienced that lately? I encourage you guys to physically sing. Some of you, you can do it in front of other people because you can carry a tune. Some of you just need to go to your car. That's where I go. If you ever see me going down the highway and the music's loud and I'm singing, that's what's going on. But it is amazing what it does to us when we thank God in the middle of trials. It gives you, personally, I would just testify, it gives me a strength that I didn't know was there. Third implication. So take a step of faith. Sing out during trials. And third, love your enemies. This might be the craziest craziest thing I've said today. Love your enemies. The peace of God is real. And God has loved you when you were an enemy to him. And he gracefully provides each of us people that we don't like, people that we can't stand, people that have done real harm to us. And he says, Love them. It is incredibly hard. Uh, It's actually incredibly hard to prepare a sermon where you're going to talk about loving your enemies. Because you know what God does? God brings several people to mind that I don't like. None of of those people are here today. (laughs) Thanks, yeah. Just had to double check, look around. you just got, I'm kidding. I really am kidding. There's nobody in this congregation I don't like. Uh, the, God brings people to mind. There are people in life I just, I don't get along with. That are at best annoying and at worst just dangerous. And God says, love them like I loved you. I'm not saying, there's no boundaries. I'm not saying I do this without wisdom. But my guess is in a room this size that there are a lot of enemies that are coming to mind. 
But one of the ways that God works is by redeeming enemies, by loving enemies, and then bringing them into the family. And there's nothing more beautiful than when we see reconciliation happen. Sometimes this is two Christians. They got in a disagreement, and then they forgot that you could forgive. They thought, oh no, if I, if I forgive, I will justify what they did to me. I will excuse what they did to me. I'm never going to do that. But brothers and sisters, God has given us the ability to forgive. We, do we remember why we, we can forgive? Because Jesus went to the cross, and God put all of the sin, past, future, past present, future, onto him, and then judged him for it. And then Christ said, it's finished. That's why we can forgive. And he also gives us the tools. He gives us community like this. He, he gives us people that we can say, hey, I'm, we're having this argument, we're having the disagreement. Would you please come and listen to both of us and help us decide what to do? And who needs to repent of what? And what steps do we need to take? Wouldn't it be beautiful if Soma Eastside became a place where we realized just the power of the peace with God? And it was so powerful and it so indwelled us, it so transformed us that we were able to forgive each other and that we were able to love our enemies and see them become part of our family here. Don't we realize that the war is over. I'm going to invite the band up, and I'll just finish my little, little story with the uh, class of 1914. About three days after the, uh, the French show up, the French messengers show up, and, uh, and you know, the yelling, finis la guerre, uh, by about three days after that, the soldiers start walking around talking. You know, they see the, the Germans start celebrating the end of the war, shooting rockets and flares up and, 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 and yelling hooray. And then eventually the, what was delivered to them verbally gets de- delivered officially. Uh, but they just start walking around again and they, they, just the strange silence because if you've been in war for four years with artillery that can be heard 100 miles away, silence is just strange. But then they start lighting fires at night, out in the open. They're walking around, no one's getting shot. And you know, these are, a lot of them are teenagers, so the hijinks start returning. And the soldier that I studied for World War I, he writes in his diary eventually, the war is finis, everyone is going home. And this peace that was hard, for belie- hard to believe for them gradually turned into this huge celebration and ticker tape parades. And you could almost say that the 1914 generation, after they got the news about peace in late 1918, that they went home and celebrated so much it became the Roaring Twenties, that they might have overdid it just a little bit. (laughs) But brothers and sisters, the peace that we have with God is real. And I think we ought to celebrate it. We ought to rejoice in that relationship and take strength from that renewed relationship, even if we have suffering or trials.
So I invite you today, take a step of faith. And maybe you're here today and you say, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. I invite you to do that. You can do it just by, just in this moment. Matter of fact, I'll just encourage all of us just to bow our heads and, and sense what God is telling us today. Maybe God's telling you today that, that he wants you to take that step of faith, to say yes, to say, God, yes, I want peace with you. And maybe you're here today for the first time, you want to say that, or maybe you're ready to say that, just saying, man, I just haven't, I haven't been walking that. So maybe you're here today, and you just want to raise your hand and say, would you pray for me as I do that? Is anyone here who would just say, would you pray for me as I take this step of faith to trust God? Maybe you're here today, and you're in the middle of a trial, and you'd like prayer, prayer that, that you could rejoice in the middle of it, that God would give you the insight to see how great his love is, even in the middle of difficulty. Is there anyone here that would just raise their hand and say, would you pray for me? See that hand? Yes, thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. See that hand. And lastly, for this invitation, maybe you're here today and you're just saying, God has brought an enemy to mind, and I need help from the Holy Spirit. I need help loving that person. Maybe you'd want prayer from me today. Is there anyone here that just raise their hand and say, Paul, would you please pray for me that I would love that enemy better? Thank you. I see that. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this promise, this incredible world-changing promise that because of what Jesus has done for us on our behalf, that we have peace with you. Father, that is hard for us to to always get our mind around in the middle of anxiety and difficulty and just the busyness of our lives and all of the things that we're trying to achieve. Father, would you, would you remind us this week that we have peace with you? Father, I know there's people here today that, that need to take that step of faith, and I just pray for them that they would realize how much you love them. And Father, I also pray for us that, that we would have strong faith, that it would be deeper than just a shallow faith that believes that you want our lives to be easy. I pray that it would be much deeper than that. Father, help us, even in the midst of economic difficulty, job difficulty, relationship difficulty, physical difficulty, that we can see how much you love us. Help us to sing in the middle of those trials. And Father, help us to love our enemies, just like you love us. For the sake of your glory, we pray. Amen. Encourage you now just for this time of communion. This is where we remember what Jesus has done for us. This body represents his, this bread represents his body. The wine represents his blood. I encourage you to confess any known sins, then come forward, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the wine, and, and tell God that you remember what Jesus did. There are places to give. Give out of obedience. Give so the mission goes forward. also encourage you this morning to pray. If you need someone to pray for you, myself or any of the, or any of the elders would love to pray with you encourage you to sing out this morning as we are led. I'm so glad you're with us today.